see in Revelation chapter 12, let's listen to the word of Christ here beginning with verse 7. The Apostle John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Let's pray. Father, we've already sung together that from life's first cry until our final breath that our Lord Jesus commands our destiny. Father, we, we recognize and know then that that means that there's none of us here by accident, that we're all here because of, of your purpose. You have us here for a reason. And Father, you have something to say to us. And so Father, we pray right now that as we stand before you that we would submit ourselves to your word. And Father, we ask that every spirit in this place that exalts itself against the name of Jesus Christ would be silenced. And Father, we pray that your word would go forth and Jesus would be lifted up. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Trey had heard obscene words before. He was in public school, played on the high school football team. He'd been in the locker room. He'd heard obscenities. But he'd never heard them coming from the mouth of his grandma before. And standing there in that hospital room, he started to feel his hands shake as he could hear this little lady, this little godly Christian lady, the one who had taken him to vacation Bible school every summer, and the one who would sit down and lead him and his cousins and his brothers and sisters through, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. That, that lady who would rebuke him if he said the word gosh, the lady who would say to him, don't say fool, Jesus says you'll be in danger of hellfire if you do. The lady who always brought that extra casserole to the church social just in case somebody was there who didn't bring anything and wanted to come. That lady that, that meant everything to him when he thought about Christian godliness, now she was there in a hospital bed screaming obscenities and screaming curses at Trey's grandpa even as his grandpa was wiping away the sweat from her forehead. And as she continued in this state, saying things that Trey says he will remember until the day that he dies, saying to her husband 
of over 50 years. I hate you. I wish I'd never married you. You were always a failure as a husband and a failure as a father and a failure in life with another string of obscenities. Trey left and walked out the room. His grandpa came out and said, Trey, you've got to understand she has severe dementia. You've got to understand she's on massive doses of medication. You've got to understand that isn't her. And Trey said, but Grandpa, it is her. Because she knows these words. She knows these ideas. She knows how to hurt you with what she's saying. She knows these things somewhere, at least somewhere back up in there, that is her. And his grandpa said, Trey, we have got to be able to be angry at this disease without being angry at her. We have got to rage against it without raging against her. That's hard to do, isn't it? Almost everybody in this room, although we've never perhaps been slapped right in the face with it like this teenage kid had been, all of us face the reality of trying to live among people who are hostile to what it means to follow after the name of Christ. All of us know what it is like to be in a culture and to be in neighborhoods and to be in cities, to be in a place where what we really want to be is angry. What we really want to be is in a rage. What we, what we really want to be is at war either with society as a whole or even for some of you in your own personal stories. For some of you today on Father's Day, you are still raging against your father, living or dead. Some of you this morning are deeply, deeply angry about the disappointment you feel with the person sitting next to you in the pew or the disappointment you feel that there's no one sitting next to you in the pew. And we have a tendency to, as we look around and say, in this world of divorce courts and abortion clinics and abused children and gay pride marches and internet pornography, we want to just be in a state of anger and rage and war. But do you know the Bible here speaks to us about a war, but it is a very different kind of war than the war that you and I want to fight. Notice what happens here. It says that John, the best friend of Jesus, according to the Scriptures, is there exiled on an island where he doesn't know when the day is going to come when he's going to be called up to be executed. He doesn't know when his life is going to be over. And while he is there, Jesus appears to him and gives him a vision of what is really going on around him and where history is really headed. And Jesus shows John in this passage that we have just read that there was a war, but notice where the war was. He says there was a war that arose in heaven. And John writes this to all of these churches that are struggling there in a very difficult part of the world at the time. Churches that never know when they're going to be arrested. 
Churches that never know when they're going to be shut down. Churches that are filled with people who have fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and co-workers, all of whom are saying, you are crazy, you are insane, you are cultists. People who are living in places where people will go to temples to participate in orgies and call it worship in a decadent, deeply sick kind of a culture. And John says to them, don't be buying weapons for some type of a battle here. Don't be sitting around castigating the situation that you are in. Understand and know there is a war that is in heaven that you cannot see. You can only see the effects. He says, I saw in this vision a dragon. He sees a reptile. He sees that old serpent of Eden, he says, and that serpent, that reptile, is thrown down. He says, in all of the rest of history, after this dragon is thrown down, is one massive struggle, one tremendous tumult. He says, this war is because there is a being, there is a power that is watching you, there is a power that is raging against you. But notice what Jesus shows to John. He shows him a kind of gospel fury and a kind of gospel rage that doesn't rage against lost people. It doesn't rage against a lost situation. It rages through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice... First of all, what we, what we see here is that the gospel of our salvation, that good news that has saved us, rages against satanic deception. Notice what John says. He says, I see this dragon, and I see this one called the devil and Satan, and he identifies him as the deceiver of the whole world. Now, notice how important that is. He is the deceiver, not just of one type of people. He's the deceiver, not just of some kinds of people. He is the deceiver of the whole world. John recognizes when he is telling us this, that there was a time when he himself was deceived. There was a time when he himself did not see the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a time when he, just like everybody else in this room, was following in a different way and everything seemed normal and right even though it was desperately twisted and wicked. He is the deceiver of the whole world, John says, but he was thrown down. He was cast down. He recognizes that deception. He recognizes what's really behind the deception and what's really behind the deception is not a defective kind of person. What is defined behind the deception is a deceiver. I wonder how many of you with lost people in your families and with lost people in your workplace and with lost people down the street from you, 
how many of you get to a point of just absolute frustration and exasperation and say, I just don't know why she can't see this. I've shared the gospel over and over and over and over again. Why can't she see this? I don't know why, despite the fact that I've talked to him over and over and over again with tears in my eyes, pleading with him to come to Christ. Why can't he see it? Why can't he just see what is so clearly right there in front of his eyes? Why can't he see the fact that the way that he's living his life is destroying him, destroying her, destroying that family, destroying that community? Why can't they see that? It's because we do not understand that the problem is not with that person. The problem is that that person is being blinded. That person is being deceived. There is somebody, something working to keep the gospel from being perceived by those people. So why then do we not, on the one hand, show compassion toward those people in our lives, toward those people all around us every day, and at the same time take warning? He is the deceiver of the whole World, his deception is possible even for believers in Christ whenever we find some way to justify the kind of life we're living apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just this past week, there was a television program on a certain fair and balanced news network that I did not see, but I saw advertised that was going to be an expose of sexually lascivious programming on YouTube. And this talk show host was going to expose for parents the kinds of things that were going on on YouTube. Now, I understand, even without seeing that program, exactly what probably happened on that program. It's that the host is going to show you clip after clip after clip after clip of all kinds of obscene things that have shown up on YouTube, all the while saying, isn't this terrible that this is going out to our children? So that you can have people sitting there watching this. Can you believe that? Here it is again. Can you believe that picture? Gertrude, come in here and look at this. Can you believe it? And it'll enable us to say, mm, 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 I can't believe how terrible that culture is even as we are enjoying the rebellious images that we are seeing. These are brilliant marketers who can enable you to be sinning and self-righteous at the same time. It's deception. You don't see it. You don't recognize that that's the case. How much more so those people who have never seen Jesus Christ through the gospel. Some of you will say, oh, I just don't know what to do with my lost mother. I don't have anything else to say. I don't know what to do with my lost son. I call him on the phone and I've shared the gospel. I don't have anything else to say. And what you're hoping for is to have some argument that when you give that argument, you'll win. And the person will suddenly say, okay, I give up, I believe in Christ. But that's not how it works. Notice how that deceiver of the whole world is thrown down 
through the word of their testimony. Jesus turns back the deception of Satan through the speaking of the gospel. It is not that you need something new to say to your lost family members and friends. It is that you need to keep saying the same gospel of Christ crucified and raised from the dead while praying with tears in your eyes and pleading God through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit slap this person in the face so that he comes to himself and he sees what's right there in front of him. The deception is turned back, not by some kind of well-reasoned argument. It is turned back by something as simple as, listen to me one more time, Jesus died for you, Jesus rose for you, Jesus will forgive you, believe in Christ. And just like with every one of us in this room who heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over again, and then in one second and in one moment, suddenly that same story we'd heard a million times over for some of us, suddenly it hit us, oh man, this is me. You know what's happening in that moment? It's not that you're suddenly becoming smarter than you were before. It's that the power of Satan is being rolled back. That's spiritual warfare in salvation. That deceiver, he says, is thrown down by the word of their testimony. So why do I rage against people who are deceived rather than raging against the deceiver? But no, secondly... He shows us that the gospel of our salvation rages against satanic accusation. Notice what he says. He says, this dragon, this devil, this Satan, the deceiver, he is thrown down and when the kingdom comes, he's knocked off. And who is he? He says in verse 10, he is the accuser of our brothers. The power that Satan has is that he knows about you. And he knows about me. Problem is, John says, he stands before the presence of God accusing the brothers and the sisters day and night and he is right. The satanic powers know all of the things that you are hiding and all of the things that I am hiding. They know that the Bible says that the only ones who can stand before God are those who have clean hands and a pure heart and Satan is willing to stand and say, do you see that guy? He is a liar. Do you see that woman? She is a hypocrite. And he is right. But he says that accuser the one who stands there reaping that judgment, destroying those who are in his grip through sin. He is thrown down because he is not allowed to accuse anymore. If somebody comes into your office and stands and says, somebody in this room is an Islamic terrorist, part of an Islamic terrorist cell, your reaction is probably going to be, who? You're probably not going to feel your heart racing with fear about being found out, unless you're an Islamic terrorist. But there are some of you in this room 
who could feel that heart racing when your neighbor comes up and says, hey, aren't you a Christian? Why did I hear you screaming at your kids out in the front yard? You'll get in this van right now or I'll make you sorry. Is that what Christians do? Your heart would start to race if that's who you are. There are some of you in this room that have deep secrets in your heart and in your conscience that Satan is able to say to you, if anybody else knew about these things, you would be exposed as a fraud. I know, Satan says, that you embezzled that money. They don't. I know that you aborted that baby. They don't. I know that you lied on that tax form. They don't. I know what used to be in the history of your internet folders. They don't. I know the kind of things that go through your mind. They don't. And he stands and accuses and accuses and accuses, and he is right. But notice what the scripture says. He is thrown down. He loses all of his power. And how does he lose his power? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Satan knows about you, but so does God. Do you really think that those secrets kept back there in your heart, that they are not accessible to the one that the Scripture says is closer to you right now than the blood running through your veins? He knows and understands all of the thoughts and the secrets of your heart, and he loves you anyway in the middle of that. And he says to you, come out of that hiding and come on out into the light and when we embrace the gospel, it is not that we say, oh, I am no longer identified with those things simply. It is that we stand up and say, Satan is exactly right about me, but I have already been executed at the cross of Jesus Christ. I have already faced the crucifixion that comes to me. I have already been through hell. And God has already said what he thinks of me when he brought Jesus out of that hole in the ground in the Middle East. So when the accusation comes against you from Satan, you are not standing there with a lump in your throat trying to defend yourself. You are saying you are exactly and precisely right. I would refer you to the place of the skull because that's where I was crucified and executed. They triumph through the blood of the lamb. He then has no more power over you. He then has no more accusation over you. You are freed and able to walk away. There are some of you who are in here right now who wonder if you are the kind of person who could ever follow after Jesus Christ. And there are things that you, you just don't even want to bring up. I'm the kind of person, you might say, who every single day wants to drink a 12-pack of beer until I pass out at night. I'm the kind of person, you might say, who has to pull my car over and wait because I want to take my paycheck and gamble every bit of it away across the state line in Indiana. 
I'm the kind of person, you might say, who is gripped with same-sex attractions. I'm the kind of person, you might say, who is filled with murderous rage toward people. And the only thing that prevents me from that murder is that I would be prosecuted. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. There is no accusation that can ever be leveled against you that cannot be paid for and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is thrown down. But the question is, for those of us who have known the power of this blood, why do we then rage against the accused? I find myself wanting to fix people. I find myself wanting to rebuke people. I find myself when I see somebody doing a stupid parenting trick in Walmart that I want to turn around and say, you can't do this. You're going to raise a serial killer. <laughs> this makes me feel better. It's not love for those people. I just want to make sure they know I know that. And I think all of us have a tendency to do that kind of a thing. But the problem is we can become like Satan. Satan loves to expose sin. Satan loves to rebuke sin. Satan loves to identify the enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan just doesn't want people to see the gospel. And you can be satanic in saying you are wrong and you are wrong and you are wrong and you are wrong and you can line up all of the evidence and all of the reasons and all of the consequences and you will be right and absolutely devilish. That is not the way that Jesus responded to you. He told you honestly everything that was wrong in your life but he did it with tears in his eyes and there was a day when you heard your name being called as though you were in the middle of a crowd in a foreign country and you turned around and were faced through the gospel with someone who isn't simply there to accuse you, someone who draws you out of hiding, but he draws you out of hiding in order to say to you, come to me and I will give you rest. Do your neighbors hear that from you? Do your co-workers hear that from you? Does your rebellious son or daughter hear that from you? Does your unbelieving mother or father hear that from you? Because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But notice finally that this gospel rages also against satanic oppression. He says that this accuser at the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, he's thrown down, his power is now over. He's defeated, he's undone, the story is then completed, but it doesn't end the way we would want it to end. It doesn't end like a Dr. Seuss Christmas musical, you know, where everybody gathers around in the village square and joins hands and sings Wahoo Bore or whatever it is that they sing at the end of the story. It doesn't end that happily. Instead, he says, this dragon is thrown down, and what does he do? He rages, he becomes furious against the brothers of Jesus, the sisters of Jesus, and why is this dragon so angry? Why are these satanic powers so filled with rage? Because he knows that his time is short. 
like a caged animal up against the wall. He knows he is about to die. He knows he is about to be over. And so he lashes out with all the more rage and with all the more fury. And John writes to these churches and he says, some of y'all are going to have your heads cut off. Some of y'all are going to be dipped in boiling oil. Some of y'all are going to have family members who will never speak to you again. Some of you are going to lose everything that you've worked for all of your life. He says, but that raging, that anger, that oppression, it is defeated. And how is it defeated? The blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and the fact that they loved not their lives even unto death. There will come a point, just as with Job, that with every single one of you in this room who profess the name of Christ, that the accusation against you will be you only follow the gospel because you've never had to face the cost. And for some of you, what Satan would love to do is to strip away from you all of those things that you hold and leave you exposed before God where all that you have is what you profess to believe, the gospel. Are you ready for that? We sit here right now, today, and have a sign outside identifying where we are. You can go on the internet and find all seven locations of Highview Baptist Church. But there may come a day when those back doors are opened up by men with machine guns saying, where are the cultists who follow after the name of Christ? We will root them out. Will there be a congregation at Highview Baptist Church that is able to look into the barrel of a machine gun and say, Jesus is Lord? The only people who can do something like that are people who believe that heads that are cut off can be put back on and that faces that are blown off by machine gun fire can be recollected together by a sovereign and majestic and powerful Jesus Christ. He says they rage, the powers fight, they come against you. And he says the issue here is that for those of you who are unbelievers still, and for those of you who are believers right now, all that Satan wants to see is you destroyed. He doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't care if he can do it by fattening you up and by keeping you lazy in all of your indulgence or if he can do it by coming against you and removing everything that you have. It doesn't matter how he does it. All he wants you to do is to acknowledge what's more important to me than Jesus Christ is my life. If you will say that, no matter what it takes, he has you. And the scripture says that he uses human agents. 
these people who are being persecuted by Satan, they are being persecuted just like our Lord Jesus was by people who don't even know what they are doing. They don't even know that they are following through with a vast ancient conspiracy. They just think they're doing what's right because they are deceived. John says to the Holy Spirit, don't rage against them. Rage against the power behind them. Why do some of you sit here raging in your mind against that dad that left you? Why do you sit here raging in your mind against that husband who ridiculed you as you were walking out the door this morning? Why do you rage in your mind against that lesbian couple that lives down the street from you, walks their dogs in front of your children, and you say, I can't stand the fact that my kids have to see that. Why do you rage against them? Why do you not instead see this is horrible, this is awful, but they do not know what they are doing. Something bigger, something greater is happening here. And what is it? The kingdom of God is coming. The voice that is being heard from heaven is now the kingdom of God is here and the authority of his Christ. That is good news for those who are in Christ and that is a horrible warning for those who shrink away from him and hide. Do we sense that? Do we recognize that? Do we understand the fact that we are not those who are furious against the people around us? We are the found. A guy came up to me a few weeks ago here, said something that pierced me right through the heart. He said, I had a preacher when I was growing up, did some terrible things to our church in another state, went to another state, had another preacher at another church, did some horrible things. I left the church for a long time. He said, moved to Louisville, coming here. I think I can trust you. I told my wife, I said, that's, that's a tremendous weight but it also just isn't so. Don't trust me. I'm a fraud. It's just that I'm a crucified fraud. Jesus Christ is the only righteousness that I have, the only righteousness that Brother Kevin has, the only righteousness that any of us in this room have. You and I are those who recognize ourselves to be sinful, condemned, executed, but raised to newness of life. So why would we look around at those around us and cluck our tongues? Can't believe you'd do something like that. Can't believe you'd believe something like that. It's the power of a deceiving, accusing, oppressing spirit. There are Muslims right now while we're gathered here today who are all over the world moving toward their faces, screaming, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. They are not the enemy. There are people here in Louisville preparing for a gay pride march here in the city, perhaps even this week. They are not the enemy. 
There are people who right now are probably listening to this broadcast in the background while they are making crystal meth in a garage out behind their house. They are not the enemy. There are people who are pumping pornography into houses all over this country. They are not the enemy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that there are not two kinds of people. There is only one kind of person, sinners in need of a gospel. And the rage that we ought to have is the kind of rage that looks around and says, oh God, would you please send your spirit through what I say and through how I live so that the people who see and hear this would see the same Jesus Christ and the light of his gospel that chased the satanic power out of my life. Will we rage against the reptile, not against his prey? If you bow your heads and close your eyes, there may be some of you in this room right now who are, maybe you've been deceived for a long time. And maybe some things are, are starting to confuse you. You're starting to wonder, maybe everything's not the way I've always thought it was. There are folks here who can talk with you and pray with you. Maybe some of you in this room who are accused Maybe some of you say, hey, my conscience, there's something on my conscience I just can't get rid of. I want to get out from under its power. There are people here who can talk with you, can show you how to come out of that hiding and receive forgiveness. There's some of you who say, hey, I'm, I'm forgiven in Christ. I understand that, but Satan just keeps bringing certain things to my mind. Let us pray with you. Don't bear that burden all by yourself. There are others of you who need to just come to the front here and pray with somebody or by yourself for somebody in your life that maybe you have seen as the enemy for too long rather than crying out for the mercy of God for that person. Son, a daughter, father, mother, co-worker, we invite you to come as well. And there are others of you that God's leading to some form of obedience. He's saying to you today, don't wait anymore to follow after the Lord Christ in baptism. Don't wait anymore to affiliate yourself with your brothers and sisters in a local congregation. Don't wait anymore to say, God is leading me to seek some help with this particular issue in my life or in my family's life. Whatever the issue that's on your mind and on your heart, we're going to be standing right up here and we invite you to come. We won't embarrass you. We won't put your face on the screen. We won't announce anything. We just want to be here to pray with you in the name of Christ. Lord Jesus, we just pray that your spirit would be here today. And Father, whatever you are doing in any life, Father, let that be seen. Let that come forward in Jesus' name. Amen.